Managing passwords can be a real headache, right? Think about it. Every website requires a new password. Each one needs to be unique, secure, and somehow memorable. But there's a better way. Welcome to the world of 1Password, where your entire company can generate strong, unique passwords, store them securely, and access them across any device without ever needing a reset. Imagine never having to click Forgot Password again. With 1Password's award-winning design, managing passwords becomes a breeze for you and your entire team. It's trusted by millions, including top companies like IBM and Slack. Here's the best part. My listeners can try 1Password for free for two weeks. Right now, get your free trial at onepasswordcom slash Productive Convo. Secure your passwords and simplify your online security with 1Password. Starting an online business or expanding your physical storefront online has never been easier thanks to Shopify. This global commerce platform supports you at every stage of your business journey. From launching your online shop to managing a million orders, Shopify is there to simplify and accelerate your growth. It's not just about selling products. So Shopify helps you manage every aspect of your business with their all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system. But that's not all. Shopify helps you convert visitors into customers with the best converting checkout process on the internet, which performs up to 36% better than other platforms. And now a special offer for my listeners. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash timecrafting, all lowercase. Whether you're just starting out or looking to scale up, Shopify is the perfect partner for your business. Are you a small business owner struggling to find the right talent for your team? I've been there and I know how challenging it can be. That's why I recommend LinkedIn Jobs. It's not just any job board. It's a community where you can find professionals who are the perfect fit for your business, many of whom aren't checking other job sites. In fact, 70% of LinkedIn users aren't visiting other leading job sites, making LinkedIn your best bet for finding top talent. With LinkedIn jobs, you can post your job and reach qualified candidates quickly. 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And now... You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation. That's right, for free. Don't miss out on finding top talent. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation today. Terms and conditions apply. Meal planning is important because it prevents us from being a disappointed wreck when dinner time comes around and we have no clue what to make or even if we have the ingredients to make the meal. It's a time and a money saver, but most importantly, it frees up valuable brain space. Creating a meal plan prepares us for the week to come and gives us peace of mind that we're organized and can feed ourselves and our family. That's why I do it, and that's why Plan to Eat helps me do it. Your subscription includes access to the Plan to Eat website and fully featured mobile apps on iOS and Android. And Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And you can create a meal plan around your schedule. Then what happens is the Plan to Eat software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. So sign up for your free trial at plantoeat.com slash timecrafting. That's plantoeat.com forward slash timecrafting. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. I'm Mike Vardy, and this is the Productivityist Podcast.
Welcome to the Productivityist Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Vardy, and this week on the show, a guest I've wanted to have on the show for a long time, Benjamin Hardy. He is the author of Willpower Doesn't Work, one of the most highly acclaimed medium writers. And when I say medium, he doesn't write medium, he writes on the platform medium, uh, which is a, a great platform. I actually write there as well. But uh, Ben Ben has really kind of made his home there. And this this book is kind of he's 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 put it all out there. And this book, Willpower Doesn't Work, which is kind of interesting. We talk about like my affinity to the Green Lantern and who whose strength is derived from willpower. We get right into that as why he believes willpower doesn't work and what does instead. We're gonna dive into that. We're gonna talk about um, agency. We talk a little bit about constraints, a whole bunch of different things. Addiction comes into play, lots of stuff. Uh, this is a, a fantastic conversation. I'm glad I can bring it to you. But I have to say that there are some hiccups during the Skype call. You'll hear some fluttering every once in a while. I just want to put that out there right up front. I don't think it, it detracts from the quality of the conversation. But there are a few times where uh, there are some sputters. And I didn't want to cut those out. Didn't want John to cut those out either. Because I felt that uh, it would disrupt the flow of the conversation. So uh, I hope you can uh, get past some of the little uh, technical things that went on during this conversation I had with Ben Hardy. And if you can... Now it's time for the show. I'd like to welcome Benjamin Hardy to the Productivityist Podcast. Ben, thanks for joining me today. Thank you. I'm going to jump right in, and I want to talk. Your book, Willpower Doesn't Work, is is the is kind of the 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 subject that I want to dive into right away. Uh, and I am sitting here in my office, and anyone who's listened to the show for a long period of time or followed my work knows that I have Green Lantern stuff all over the place. Uh, I'm wearing my Green Lantern ring. I'm drinking coffee out of my Green Lantern cup. I, I look to my right and I see all of the Green Lantern collectibles that I have. And then I, you know, see you speak at, um, at or you were, you were at Jeff Goins' tribe conference and you were having a conversation with Jeff. And I'm like, I wonder what his, you know, what's Ben's book going to be about? And I look it up and I'm like, willpower doesn't work. And it shatters my entire world of Green Lanternisms because Green Lantern's power is derived from willpower. So I want to know, have I been following a false idol all of this time with the idea that I've, I've got all this willpower stuff that's surrounding me? And now I'm, I'm hearing that it's, it's not it's it's not it's not as much of a factor as, as I once thought. Could you could you share with <laughs> am, am I am I going to be OK is the question. <laughs> I think you're going to be OK. Um, you know, a lot of people falsely attribute the cause of something. You know what I mean? So like what, uh, in Western culture, willpower is a very sexy idea. You know, we're a very individualistic culture. So we really like to think that we're the cause of everything we do. We like to think that like, you know, if I become successful, for example, that it was all me, it was all my grit, my willpower, you know, my domination, my, you know, it's like, uh, because we're so individualistic, as a culture and we're conditioned to think individualistically in a lot of ways we ignore the surrounding context that actually influences and shapes everything um so there's two kind of fundamental frameworks here i'm talking there's one that's atomistic where you're kind of focused on individual variables and you kind of pull them out of context and look at them and then there's more of a holistic manner where it recognizes kind of systematically that everything is influenced by what's around it when you change a when you change a part, you change the whole. So like, that's kind of high level. But basically, what I'm saying here is, is that uh, willpower, obviously, is a thing. Um, the problem is, is that willpower is 
not necessarily an effective method for success in today's exponentially changing world. So like willpower, in my opinion, is a smart model to go off of if you were living like in a linear world that's not globalized and not filled with smartphones and filled with all sorts of things that are constantly constantly at our fingertips. So one of the ways that people describe willpower, you know, psychologists, one of the definitions of willpower is decision fatigue. And basically what it means is, is that the more decisions you make, the less quality those decisions become. And so it's why, you know, there's popularized concepts and, and ideas like that, um, you know, Mark Zuckerberg and um, Steve Jobs and stuff wore the same clothes every day. Like if you look up decision fatigue, you're going to see a lot of research and ideas on people who try to reduce the amount of decisions they make so that they can actually make high quality choices. Well, so the problem with willpower nowadays is that we live in a world where there's literally endless choices to be made. <laughs> like by the time you open your smartphone, you know, you've made tons of choices and most people's willpower is out the wall. You know, it's out, it's gone. Uh, it's, it's one of the reasons why addiction is spiking. I mean, addiction rates are, and just distraction in general. Uh, I mean, if people had all the willpower they needed, then why are people struggling to stay focused at work? Um, and so um, this book takes a lot more holistic perspective and says, what is it really that makes a person who they are? And what, what is it really that allows a person to be successful long term? Willpower is clearly a short term approach. Um, so how can you actually make holistic transformation to who you are without trying to overfocus on what you have to do. Right. That's, yeah. So, so it's funny because as I was listening, I, um, I'm on a plane listening to you tell me about why willpower doesn't work. Cause I, I have the audio book and I'm realizing that all of this green lantern stuff I have around me is really just a, an avatar. It's an environmental, um, kind of, uh, shift or change. It creates this environment of, Hey, don't forget what you really need to be working on. Don't forget what you're, you know, like it's it's almost like that 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 reminder. And you talk, yeah, yeah, you've got yeah, a yeah. bunch of triggers in your environment. Yeah, <laughs> and you talk about that in the book. You talk about environmental changes are are one of the, if not, I, I, I mean, I'll let you speak to this. If not the most valuable thing you can do to kind of move, you know, make things happen the way that you know, you you want to happen, or 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 move forward in a way that willpower just can't do on a sustainable level. Is that, let's talk a little bit about the environmental things that we can do, because I think that that's something that people, you know, they either, they get caught up in, in just the doing of things that they don't think about. How can I set myself up for success or set myself up for long-term um, achievement through just changing either the, the the place that I'm doing the things in or the state of mind that I'm, I'm approaching things with. Can we talk a little bit about that as well? 100%. Yeah. So there's two uh, very important concepts to go into before I dive into this. Number one is, is that, so there's a quote by Zig Ziglar. He says that your inputs shape your outputs and obviously your outputs shape your success. So like your inputs are like what's coming in. So like an in input could be like the food you eat or the information you consume, or the music you're listening to, or the friends you're around, like those things become inputs, they come into you. And those inputs shape your output, they shape, you know, your identity and your worldview and stuff. Um, and so like, the inputs that a person has, are very influenced by the society that they're a part of, based on the friend groups that they're part of, based on their interests, obviously, but like, 
your inputs are very important. But another important component is the idea that who you are in one situation and what your possibilities are in that situation are very different than who you are and what your possibilities are in a different situation. So I'll just give an example. One of the reasons I wrote this book is because my wife and I were foster parents of three kids for three and a half years. We actually adopted those kids. But um, when we got these kids and they were aged three, five, and seven, um, they had so many problems, as you could probably imagine. You know, like they had been taken away from their parents' house. Their parents lost their rights. Um, their parents didn't... Um, their parents didn't make the kids go to school. That's one of the reasons they got taken away from their parents. Uh, there were there were five kids and two adults living in a one bedroom small like hut, basically with mountains of clothes and garbage and trash in there, bugs flying around, and basically all the kids slept on the same bed. And the parents just let the kids stare in front of a TV all day. And in order to put the kids to bed, they gave the kids cough syrup to make sure that the kids would go to sleep. Um, and so these kids, when we got them, they had like no capability to even put themselves to sleep. You know, we had to like literally work with and train these kids to go to bed for six months. And we're still sometimes dealing with that. But um, basically, here's kind of an important approach for, for people to think about. When we got these kids, we immediately put them into Montessori school, which is a private school. It wasn't actually immediate. We had them in public school for a while and realized that just given their situation, their background, they could not, they literally couldn't comprehend it. And so they needed to be in an atmosphere and in an environment that allowed them more freedom and also more hands-on help. So we got them into Montessori school, which is an incredible school program. We got them into extracurricular activities. We got them extra tutoring because the seven-year-old kid literally had no reading skills um you know when we got him he was like at a like a like it was as, as if he was in kindergarten like intellectually and he was supposed to be in second or third grade like maybe even not even kindergarten so he had to get tons of extra tutoring we got these kids into sports uh we've traveled you know most of the country with these kids on multiple occasions um and there's lots of research there's tons of research which i detail in the book but basically it talks talks about how, you know, especially for kids, you know, who you are is shaped in a lot of ways based on like the environment, based on the uh, neighborhood you grow up in, based on the influences around you. And so one of the things I just want people to think about is, do, do these three kids have the same opportunities and options in their old house as they do in our house? That's just an important question to consider. Um, I would say no. I would say with their with their parents who were totally high and on drugs and uh, neglectful and not taking them to school, these kids did not have the same options as they have in our house. And if you don't have options, you can't make choices. Um, and so the notion of free will uh, is what I present in the book is an idea called contextual agency. So basically, you can make choices based on your context. One just quick example, and then I'll go into how do you shape the context, is think about women in society, for example. Like women, you know, over the last, you know, several, you know, several decades have gotten increasing freedoms in society. Like women at this point, like if you were just to take a snapshot of women versus men in society right now, women are crushing it in academics, in higher ed and in just undergrad. Um, women are becoming increasingly successful in all areas of business, things like that. If you were to compare women right now versus women 150 years ago, it would be a very different story. What's the, like, what's the difference? Do women have more willpower 
today than they had, you know, 150 years ago? Or is the context different? Do they have more options? Um, it's just a different environment. And so when you have different options, you, you can make different choices. And so now the question becomes, what do you focus on? Do you focus on just increasing your energy and your output in a certain environment where maybe the gains can be small and linear? Or do you fo focus on the context and about the possibilities within that context? My opinion is, and it's kind of the premise of the book, is that you're going to get a lot more bang for your buck if you focus on shifting context and then adapting to context rather than staying in the same environment, potentially with very limited options and trying to grit your way through, you know, potentially not even a lot of opportunity. Um, it's just an easy comparison of my foster kids versus coming in, into our house. And so how do you shape that environment? Um, I go through a lot of different um, recommendations in the book. Uh, I talk about two types of optimal environments. Uh, I may go into that later because that's, again, more like high level. But one of the best ways that I have found to get myself into very high level environments where, you know, so there's this whole idea, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So the people you surround yourself with, um, really your environment in general creates you as a person. And so if you want to become something specific, let's just say you want to become a millionaire, uh, you could obviously spend 10 years, you know, gritting your way to finally making your way to that point, or you could figure out a way to get yourself in those types of environments where that type of thinking is the norm. Um, because people adapt to norms. People actually act based on social norms more than they act based on their true values. And a good example of that is just, just obesity. Like most people probably value being healthy. They want to be healthy, but you know, the majority of America is becoming obese, not because of values, but because of social norms and because of food options and stuff like that. So, um, how, how I've seen a lot of people, like I did a lot of research during my PhD on what's the difference between real entrepreneurs and wannabe entrepreneurs. Right. And the fundamental shift is actually when people start investing money. Um, when people start investing money into their dreams and into their goals, um, all of a sudden they become way more committed and it also changes their proximity. So like when I became a successful writer, I started blogging in 2015 uh, I made a few key investments that allowed me to get access to key mentors. Like one of them was as simple as paying $250 to Jeff Coins. So Jeff Coins is a popular blogger. He's actually the person that you referenced. Yep. Um, I, I reached out to Jeff because he was doing a promotion. He was selling 20 copies of his book, The Art of Work. And if someone bought 20 copies, he said he would jump on the phone with him for 30 minutes and talk about whatever they wanted. Well, at the point, at that point I had like, five to 10,000 email subscribers to my blog. And I was just getting started and I really wanted to write a book. And it was actually like probably five to six months after I started writing online. And I wanted to write a book and get a book deal. Well, I invested $250 in order to get access to a different vantage point to someone. So I brought someone into my environment. I, I, I purposefully brought the Jeff Goins effect into my environment. And I was able to ask him questions. And he told me that I absolutely shouldn't seek a book deal right now. He said, you know, you should wait a year, wait until you have like a hundred thousand email subscribers and you'll get a 10 times bigger book advance. And that will change the trajectory of your career. Now, if I hadn't paid the $200 and if I hadn't asked him the, those specific questions, it might've 
taken me a year to get that information. I might have never gotten that information. I might have just tried to find a way to get a book deal. Um, so that's just one key example is, and obviously, you know, that's that's not like changing your house and putting pictures of the green lantern around your house. I mean, I think that that's a very effective model. That's a different perspective as well. Sure. I mean, obviously yeah. you want to shape, you know, but, but what I'm just talking about, like, how do you create opportunities to get around your mentors or to, you know, that that's one way is just investing. And I actually go very high into the, that concept in the book about mentorships and masterminds. But when it comes to just shaping your home environment or shaping a work environment, ultimately what I go into in the book is what I call forcing functions. Um, and obviously what you've talked about with the Green Lantern is, is just putting triggers all around you. And by the way, I love that. Um, there's a group called Gaping Void. Have you ever heard of yep. Hugh McLeod? Oh, yeah. I've got his I've got uh, Ignore Everybody. I've got his book sitting right over here on my bookshelf. Yep. yep. So he actually, you know, Gaping Void has, you know, which was his blog actually became now a culture, a culture design company. Mm-hmm. And Hugh actually draws amazing pictures. And they, uh, so basically what they do is this culture design company is they have what are called, um, culture walls. And so what they do is, is they ask people questions and they basically help people develop a belief system. And then they turn that belief, belief system into art and the art is drawn by Hugh. And then there's key statements. And then, then you end up having like, you know, like these one foot by one foot tiles of art with key statements, like one. And, and then you have this beautiful art all over your wall, you know, or in your office. And the purpose of that is similar to your Green Lantern stuff. It's supposed to trigger uh, desired behavior. It's right. supposed to trigger desired mindset, belief systems and stuff. But like, you know, I have all sorts of cool art. You know, like one of them says like, you know, like you make or break your life before 8 a.m. Or like, yep. um, do what is right, let the consequence follow. Like I have all of these things that are part of my belief system sitting all around me, continually triggering me. And so like, that is a genius way uh, to shape behavior or to shape um, environment well, in order to shape desired psychology and stuff. And and I think what it, it you know, um, what that does is the person that comes up with that stuff is you previously when you were at your best, when you were kind of in those moments of, and it's funny because I was reading an article uh, before the interview today, uh, Peter Bregman had an article in HBR about how do you tackle the, how do you actually start the task you've been avoiding? I'll link to it in the show notes. But he said, start with willpower, but he said it only because it it's not, in a moment, it could be really, really helpful, but it's not sustainable over the long haul. So there's, but, but what you can do is, at least I found this for myself, is like those, like you said, the, and, you know, having those, those triggers, whether it's art or, or quotes, or, I mean, having a desktop quote, I, I throw, I surround my stuff with a lot of stuff that I do as well. Same, same, uh, same thing with having a theme for my day, like I theme my day. So when, when I came up with those themes for that particular time period, whether it's a day, a chunk of time, a month, whatever, that was me, you know, two, three weeks, months, whatever ago, I can trust that person because that person was, had my best in, my best uh, intentions in mind. And it said, if you do this, then you will be able to move forward with the things you ultimately want to do instead of getting pulled into, you know, a, a direction that you don't necessarily want to go in over the long term. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. I think it's, I mean, um, I think, it sounds, I think everybody has their own, I think, like, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, you're good. I mean, obviously, everyone has their own perspectives and approaches. And this is a complex conversation. Um, But like, 
it sounds like what you're saying is, is make one decision that makes all the rest of your decisions easier. Right, right. Which you talked about decision fatigue initially and, you know, the idea of overchoice and all that stuff. I think that if you, it, it's interesting because when, when I was looking at some of the research around will, willpower before talking to you, because I, I is, um, you've probably, uh, have you heard of Dr. Carl Eric Fisher, the, the psychiatry professor at Columbia, where he basically saying willpower is a full on myth. And he's talking about moral overtones and all that stuff. And it, I, I think that, um, the interesting thing about that is that when, like you said, when you rely solely on willpower, it's not something that, that can be sustained over the long term. And not only that, it, like you said about diet and stuff like that, people tend to, New Year's resolutions are a great example about that too, right? Wouldn't it be like having willpower just to live up to those resolutions that you set out on January 1st? The, 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 the idea that you're going to rely, be able to rely on willpower to carry you through to December 31st is, is, is not wise, right? Yeah, it clearly doesn't work. You know, most pe- the reason it doesn't work is obvious is because most people are trying to gut their way through it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so 8% of people apparently achieve their new year's Eve, new year's resolution um i don't even know <laughs> i was gonna say true. i was gonna say apparently probably sounded like you meant to say allegedly <laughs> yeah what I, mean, I don't even think it's that hot no i, mean, I agree i think that most people are stuck yeah um but um one of the key topics that i dig into in this book is addiction yeah and um there is so much research on addiction at this point that says you cannot overcome an addiction through willpower. Um, in fact, willpower can often make the problem worse because willpower is a very isolated approach. It's trying to do it by, by yourself. It's a very individualistic thing, you know, willpower. So what they say, so there's a really good Ted talk. Uh, it's all, it's called everything you know about addiction is wrong or everything you think you know about addiction is wrong. And he talks a lot of about how addiction is an environmental adaptation. He, he, he cites a bunch, of, a bunch of research. One of the studies that he talked about is, is interestingly, uh, in Vietnam, during the Vietnam War, like uh, an enormous percentage of our American troops, when they were over there, they were addicted to heroin. Um, it was just kind of like they got easy access to it or something. It was a way to like numb themselves to the pain and the pressure of being away from home and killing people and all the fear involved. And so a ton of these people were addicted to heroin when they were, when they were over there. And, and, you know, the U S got wind of it, the government, and we're afraid that, you know, we are going to bring back all these, you know, tens of thousands of people and we're going to have all these heroin addicts. Um, but the thing that surprised everyone was, is that, that that's not what happened. Like when, when these people came back to their homes and to their lives and stuff, I think like only like 5% of the people had problems with heroin and that's because who they were in that context is who they is not the same person as they were when they came home and when they had jobs and, and wives and kids and lives. They just they could it wasn't even an option. Again, right. context shaped the possibility. Um, but one of the important things that um, that is said in that TED talk is, is that the opposite of addiction is connection. Like the only way to actually overcome an addiction is through vulnerability, through trust, through having a community, through um, you know, forgiveness through all sorts of stuff. You can't do it on your own. You can't, you can't, addiction is a very isolated activity. It's a very isolated behavior. And addiction in a lot of ways is the product of trauma. And trauma is really important as it relates to addiction because trauma, a traumatic experience is stored in a person's memory very differently than a regular memory. 
regular memories are things that we should be able to eat, you know, when we recall them in social situations and stuff, we actually recreate memories. So like when you recall a memory, you recreate it and you reassociate it with new things. So healthy memories are very fluid. They're fluid, they're contextual, you can change them. The problem with traumatic memories is that they are, they're fixed, they're unalterable. Uh, and they're also isolated from context. And so they're just kind of this fixed thing that keeps people stuck. It keeps people stuck and unable to experience present moments um, because they're living in the past and they can't take in present moments, allow those present moments to reshape their memories in their past. And so traumatic memories keep people stuck. Another word for it is suppressed trauma or suppressed emotion. And... um and so that's why people turn to addiction is because, you know, they don't know how to deal with the pain. They don't want to deal and un- they don't understand how to deal with the trauma. And so they numb themselves. Um, it ends up being a solution to their problems. But addiction in general is an isolated activity. It's, it's something that's secretive. Um, and Joe Polish, who is the owner of Genius Network, he's one of my mentors. He's an addiction expert. He was himself a heavy addict. One of the things he always says is that, says, is that you are as sick as your secrets. And, and addiction is a very secretive act. It's isolated. Um, and so you can't get out of it through isolating yourself. And willpower is an attempt to do it by yourself. It's an attempt to fight a silent battle rather than just to seek help and to seek an environment in a context where you can get support. Um, willpower is like trying to swim upstream. Um, Versus just seeking help, you know, and like ultimately getting yourself in a, in a, in like a river or whatever, going the way you want to go. Um, and so the opposite of addiction is connection and kind of how I've framed things is is the opposite of willpower is also connection. Like the opposite of willpower is, is actually seeking collaboration. Um, and it's actually seeking, uh, it's, it's focused on, on creating a context and an environment that includes people that. That then you work with, whether that's overcoming an addiction or solving a problem or achieving goals. Um, it's just recognizing that you you can obviously do enormously more with the right supportive cast than you could do on your own. Um, so yeah, those are some thoughts. No, that's that, that's, that, that's one of the reasons I wrote. It's just because addiction is such a big topic. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, yeah. If you're going to talk about behavior change, why don't you just focus on one of the biggest issues, right? We're yeah. all addicted to some stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let's, I want to shift gears a little bit now and, and jump back to, so we were talking about Hugh McLeod a little bit earlier in Gaping Void. And of course, anyone who's followed his stuff knows that he kind of got started by doing his art on the back of business cards. Like that's kind of the size that he used when he was starting. And I want to talk about constraints and how do, how can constraints help you know, when it comes to, you know, I mean, you've, you, you've been writing consistently on Medium for quite some time. Uh, you know, do you use constraints? Do you believe that constraints can be really, really helpful? Is there, is there something that people can do with constraints that will help them that in a way that willpower just can't? Um, well, I mean, the answer is yes, obviously. And the, and the truth is, is that um, all of us have constraints. <laughs> like, uh, the thing is, is it's about choosing the right constraints. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in my book, I actually call those forcing functions. Yeah. But, you know, for example, uh, yeah, so constraints are obviously essential. Um, if you try to be devoid of constraint, then you end up, you know, in no man's land. And that's, that's where the willpower approach doesn't work is because, you know, again, we were already talking about make one choice that makes all other choices 
irrelevant. Right. And I'll just give a quick example. Like, you know, I was recently at Costco and, and excuse me, and I wanted to get like these delicious sorbet things that I, that I just think are delicious. And my wife said, you know, if you buy those, you already know you're going to eat them. And I know that you actually don't really want to eat those because they conflict with your goal. You know, like obviously you enjoy them, right? But that's where internal conflict comes in. And, and generally you're not going to experience willpower unless there's some form of internal conflict, right? You want to eat the cookie, but you also want to like be fit. You want to be distracted on YouTube, but you also want to write that article. Like if willpower exists, there's conflict mm -hmm. either between yourself and yourself or between yourself and your environment. And, you know, so in this case, I just made the one decision and I don't necessarily think it took willpower. Uh, because like once I came to my senses for a single moment and I said, and like by making that one decision, I didn't have to think about it again. Like once I got home, I didn't bring those things into my environment and therefore I didn't have to think about it, agonize over it and make decisions about when and when I could not eat them. Like I just made the decision once I'm not going to eat it. So that's kind of a concept of constraint. But when it comes to kind of creativity, like you're talking about, um, I mean, I think we all come up with our own rules and strategies. Uh, like I, you know, there's a lot of research that talks about how your brain is most creative and effective first thing in the morning. So for me, when it comes to constraints, like I don't, I just purposely choose to stay away from my cell phone and away from mostly the internet, except for research until like 10 or 11 in the morning. Like I, I just, I, so I wake up early and for me, morning time is all about, uh, learning and it's all about creating not it's not about uh, drifting into the confusion and madness of social media and stuff like that so one constraint is just I don't I don't um, look at you know in I just don't I don't even go near my phone before like 10 a.m. I don't schedule meetings before noon because meetings or even stuff like this podcasts like you know I love doing stuff like this but it's gonna if it's gonna get in the way of like my writing or my creating, then it's gonna totally ruin my whole day. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, just at the end of the day, like creating hard boundaries for my kids. Like, you know, after this podcast, I'm done. Like, my kids are gonna get home from school, and like, I don't work. And I know that if I have my phone on my body, when I, even when I'm with my kids trying to be present, that I'm gonna subconsciously start picking it up again because there are habitual addictions. Uh, you know, basically what happens is that you start to you, you adapt to your environment and then you subconsciously you just you're acting almost entirely subconsciously so even if i'm i have all the intentions in the world to be present with my kids if i keep my cell phone with me people are gonna be texting me people are gonna be emailing me people are gonna be calling me i'm gonna or i'm just gonna subconsciously just open up twitter and so one you know one of the constraints is just you know and it comes from a philosophy wherever you are that's where you should be. Right. You know, yeah. or wherever you are, be there. I mean, that's Jim Rohn, but also Dan Sullivan said it. And so, uh, you know, I, I put all sorts of constraints in place to allow myself to be the person I want to be, to be able to create what I want to create, to be able to do what I want to do, uh, to be able to be the writer, the husband, father, the person I want to be. I mean, it, you have to create the constraints or else, you know, basically what the research says is that basically if you rely on willpower, your performance, I guarantee is way less than you think it is. Willpower is, is ridiculous. And my, you know, the more and more you go into it, I mean, at least for my, myself, you know, obviously I'm heavily biased, but 
what the research says is that people actually look at their cell phones two or three times as much as they think they do. Mm-hmm. And so like most people's behavior is unconscious. And if like, if you're holding your cell phone on your body and you're trying to be present with your kids, you're, you probably actually think you're doing better than you really are. Like you're probably actually way more distracted and less present than you really are. And you may pat yourself on the back and you may say, wow, I exhibited a lot of willpower. I only looked at my phone four times when in reality, you actually probably looked at it 15 times. You just weren't aware. And so like, it's just the same with eating, you know, or watching TV or staring at your screen. Like if you're relying on willpower, you're actually performing generally far worse than you think you are. Right. Yeah. You know, we talk about constraints and, and, and this idea that they, they seem at least, you know, without looking in at looking at them, they seem to be restrictive, but they actually can create more freedom. I mean, you talked about Costco. I used to work at Costco. I worked at Costco for over a decade. And one of the things that Costco loved to do is they have far less items available, which creates the ability for people to have less decision-making involved when they go to purchase something. You know, I use this analogy a lot. You go into Costco, you're going to buy ketchup. You know you're going to buy Heinz ketchup. It's the only kind they sell. Are you going to buy the three-pack of massive ketchup, the big tin of ketchup, or the restaurant packs of ketchup? If you, those are your choices. Otherwise, you don't buy ketchup, right? So that frees you up to buy like the sorbet like it puts people in the position to go oh look here's this wonderful thing that i've never seen anywhere else maybe i will buy that because i'm not caught up in the ketchup aisle looking at the 14 different types of ketchup i could look at different brands different prices all that stuff so constraints can actually i mean what you've done and what you know what we talk when you're talking about forcing functions and and constraints is this idea that you know, like when, when I'm done, like you and I are talking right now, Wednesday is the day I record podcast interviews. Very rarely do I make an exception to that. And, and, and I do that only when the guests can kind of say, Hey, look, I can't make it work. But when I'm done, I'm doing the same thing you are going to see my, my son's in a talent show. I'm going to go do that. And that's the end of it. Like that is the end of the day. Now I'm more of a night owl than a morning person. So I'll go back to work after the kids are in bed for a couple of hours, but that's the boundaries that I've set. And I think people get caught up in this idea that they can't, they have less freedom to make those choices than they believe they do. And that, that, that is fascinating, fascinating to me when people, there's these biases that they have in place that they just, well, I can't do that because what if someone's trying to reach me or what if I miss, like they've got this fear of missing out complex. And it, I I think that that's a fallacy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it is 100%. So l- before we wrap up, I want to talk about journaling because you've got an article here and I'm going to link to it about writing in your journal. How long have you how long have you had this practice of writing in your journal? When do you do it? It's I think it's a, an undervalued uh skills not but an undervalued task or undervalued action that you could do every day that's going to help you move forward and, 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 you know, basically develop yourself, you know, as, as a better, you know, better in so many different ways. How do you, when do you write in it? How do you do it? Like, you know, when did you start? I'd love to get some thoughts on that before we wrap up. Yeah, no, I mean, thank you. Um, so, I mean, I, I have literally around, around my body, uh, like a, I've got about 15 journals around me and only two, I think three or four of them are filled out, but I, uh, I'm a collector of journals. Um, so I've been journaling consistently heavily for 10 years now. Wow. It's actually been a little over 10 years, but it was almost exactly 10 years to the day that I, I read an article. Um, so I was serving a humanitarian mission and, uh, I came across this article uh, written by this lady um and basically 
she detailed some of the benefits that she had experienced journaling over the last 30 years. And um, it just hit me like something hit me in that moment. It was either a spiritual experience. I don't know what it was, something. Um, but I just kind of realized that this was something I needed to do. I needed to learn how to do and I needed to commit to doing. And like from that day forward, uh, at least on my mission, which, you know, it was a two year experience and, you know, I was only a few months in. So from that day forward, I never stopped. I, I, I never missed a point actually where I was journaling, you know, hour to two or three hours a day, like during lunch breaks and just during like break times and stuff. Um, and it was during my journaling, you know, and I didn't have a lot of strategy around it mm -hmm. back then. Like I would just jump in and I'd start writing about kind of the wild experiences I was having and the things I was learning. Um, and I found it to be a very therapeutic process, but also a very spiritual and creative uh, process as well. Like I got to the point where I could learn, like where all of a sudden I, I would open up and I'd start writing. Um, and all of a sudden, like, it felt like the writing kind of took over me. And like, uh, I would just learn how to like, I would just write in a stream of consciousness way. I wasn't thinking about what I was saying. I was just, it was just flowing out of me faster and faster and faster. Uh, and I was getting a ton of insights and ideas out of my journaling. I was learning, I was connecting ideas. Uh, I was, you know, feeling high on life. Um, and, and, and I was just blown away by the experience. And also I was learning through my journal how to consciously design my life and design specific experiences. Like I would, I would, I would think about like, let's just say people we were teaching out in the missionary world. And like, I, I would learn, I would think about those people and I would, you know, I would create experiences and then I'd watch those experiences actually tangibly unfold. Uh, and I've since kind of, you know, learned a lot more about personal development, psychology, goal setting, creativity, uh, all these things. I've learned how to use my journal um, as a tool for self-discovery, for self-healing, for creativity. Uh, all of my articles are generally framed first in my journal that I write, you know, and then I then go off and kind of reshape them and form them. But even very specific events, um, like such as last year, I, re I, I was uh, one of the speakers at Genius Network, which is a big annual con conference. Um, you know, where like Tony Robbins, Peter Diamandis, like a lot of the best speakers and entrepreneurs in the world speak there. Um, and I wrote in my journal months before that I would be a speaker at that event. Uh, and I had a very, hot, you know, a, a, a why for doing it. Uh, you know, this book, Willpower Doesn't Work, was I had some advanced copies and I wanted to get those copies out to everyone there. And so, like, I thought that was the best way to do it. And there's an idea, you know, in kind of old school self-improvement, but it's based on psychology called auto suggestion. Basically it's the idea that, you know, when you, in a lot of ways, it's what like affirmation and those things are based on, but when you can visually create an experience and you can actually tangibly believe it, you know, and mm -hmm. you, you just create elements of it. Uh, and then, then your subconscious mind will, will create connections, allowing you insights, which will allow you to figure out how to do it. And, uh, obviously there's a lot more there. Um, you know, memory and creativity are very connected to the subconscious mind. And uh, I won't go into that right now, but ultimately, when do I do it? Where do I do it? Stuff like that. You know, 
I journal throughout the day. Uh, I think it's very effective to journal first thing in the morning. And I, I, I typically try to journal in specific, specific places, mm-hmm. uh, kind of like you, you know, you're in an environment that triggers you to have more willpower. Uh, I specifically seek environments that trigger creativity or trigger inspiration, insight. Uh, and often that requires me to leave my house. It, it requires me to leave my home environment, to go to places that uh, allow me a little bit more clarity, whether that be, you know, out in nature or just, you know, it doesn't have to be anything extreme, but, you know, just being mindful, you know, mindfulness, by the way, by definition is awareness of context and mm-hmm. awareness of how, and you know, an awareness of how that context changes changes over time and so like just being aware of how your environment influences you and then journaling in specific places and times ben this has been great and you know i'd love to have you back on again in the future because there's a lot of stuff we just barely scratched the surface on but i know we could have a, a lot more uh to to talk about but uh we're, we're at the end of the show here now um i, I encourage people strongly uh, to go and pick up your book, Willpower Doesn't Work, Discover the Hidden Keys to Success. Uh, I'll have a link, uh, the Amazon link in the show notes, of course. And I mean, I listened to the Audible version. I thought it was great. You you actually read the Audible version. So if you, uh, uh, you could hear it right from the author. Um, ben, where else can people find you? Other than Medium, which of course I'll link to in the show notes as well. Yeah, uh, just, just, just BenjaminHurry.com, which is a very basic site with some some of my links on my medium articles but yeah i mean medium.com is where you'll find you know my work benjaminhardy.com awesome benjamin thanks so much for joining me today on the productivity podcast awesome man thanks Big thanks to Benjamin Hardy for joining me this week on the show. Everything we talked about, all the relevant links and everything are in the show notes. Quite a, quite a few for this episode, for sure. Pick up his book, Willpower Doesn't Work. You can pick it up using the link in the show notes or wherever books are sold. Big thanks to John Polster for producing the show today. Big thanks to uh, Anne for helping me go through all of the materials to get the show ready. And thanks to you for listening. And thanks to my supporters who have been supporting me as patrons over the years. Now, of course, we are shifting into a new way, uh, a new model, a new kind of uh, support system for productivity. It's not so much a support system for productivity, but it's a support system for anyone who wants to learn more about how to craft their time. So head over to productivityist.com slash membership if you want to learn more about that. For now, I'm going to let you go. Thanks so much for enjoying the show. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited to, to see that we are now past the 200 episode mark. A lot of great guests coming. I can't wait to share them with you. I hope you'll stick around. Give a rating. Give a review. Subscribe to the show. I hope to see you next week. This is Mike Barty, the host of the Productivityist Podcast, reminding you to stop guessing and start going. <laughs>